Who knew this would happen? A magic potion could save my heart. Who knew that these feelings had a name? I'm worthy of change, same as you are. Mirror, mirror, don't you judge me? Don't you dare? Who knew I was? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Transitional Wisdom Podcast, where Nash and I discuss all things trans and queer-related from a variety of different perspectives. Our goal here is to share stories and experiences in the hopes of connecting with others and also furthering education surrounding trans-related issues. I think it's important for us to know that we're also beautifully different, but hey, we're not alone. Uh, This week, we are going to talk about Nash's experience and histo journey. Yes, a fun journey. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so so much fun. Lots lots of twists and turns. Very twisty and um, <laughs> My first question would be, kind of like the timeline of when you decided about a histo. Was this before you knew bottom surgery was definitely in your future, or was this something that came at the same time? Mm, yeah. So I actually, uh, after I had my top surgery, I was just set on that being all I was going to do, um, like for that time. Uh, so I didn't really care. I didn't really care about having, uh, the hysterectomy or anything like that because it just, to me, uh, at that point, it just seemed unnecessary. Like t- okay. there wasn't anything that, um, made me think it was going to make me like feel any less dysphoric or feel more comfortable or like really have like a benefit to it um you know like top surgery obviously you can see it anybody around Mm -hmm. you when you have your shirt off can see it you know it's like a a very physical and obvious difference (laughs) and uh the hysterectomy to me was just like you know something internal uh didn't really affect me day to day to begin with the only thing that would have that seemed appealing was then, you know, never having like a menstrual cycle again, but I hadn't had one since, you know, after my second month on, or my, you know, my second shot, I think it was, yeah, my second shot, you know, so like two weeks after I started tea, I didn't have them anyway. So it, it didn't, there was nothing that was pushing me in that direction. So it really wasn't until I decided that, um, I wanted to have bottom surgery that, Okay. Hysterectomy came into play because at that point it was uh, it was a requirement for um, for phalloplasty at least. Uh, so for actually for metoidioplasty, which is what I had my original consult for, the the hysterectomy was not required beforehand. You could actually have it done at the same time as the metoidioplasty. Okay. So it really actually wasn't until my consultation for my phalloplasty, well, my consultation for the metoidioplasty that turned into a phalloplasty consultation that I actually, you know, kind of had the decision made for me that I had to have a hysterectomy. So less than, you know, it was about uh, under two years before I had phalloplasty that I decided. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a relatively a short time yeah. because then you also have to go through electrolysis and everything else to prepare for phyllo yep. to begin yeah. with. So yeah, so what, it, you know, it was a pretty short period of time of just getting everything done. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I was just told, you know, I had to have it done or it was suggested that I had it done six months before the phalloplasty, but I believe at least four months, it had to be at least four months before, I believe. Um, so I had mine six months before fallow, you know, like, pretty much six and a half months. So yeah, so after my, after my, you know, consultation for the bottom surgery and making that decision, um, my consult was at the end of June. Uh, so I, by August, I had my consult for the hysterectomy. Um, so I basically called my hormone prescribing doctor. Uh, so this was in Seattle. 
Um, and I explained to him I was going to be having phalloplasty. I needed a hysterectomy. Um, you know, he was one of the two main doctors in Seattle that did hormones. Uh, so I knew, like, if anybody had a recommendation, it would be him. So he mm-hmm. he uh, recommended that I go to the polyclinic, which is where he was. It's the name of, like, the practice. So I went to the uh, gynecological side of the polyclinic and – the doctor there that I ended up having a consultation with, uh, she, her name is Dr. Omen, which I thought was a good thing. You know, that seemed like a good, <laughs> good, a good omen, sign right? to me. So um, I met her, you know, I, I called, made the appointment. They, I had the consult in August. That was my first time meeting her. And she was like really young and super cool and very like, uh, just made me feel super at ease. Um, and I, I like mm-hmm. instantly loved her. I thought she was just fantastic. Um, she was super respectful of me. I, uh, you know, I remember she asked my pronouns right away and like was just very on top of being like a really good doctor. Um, so I was super stoked about this. Like, okay, I never felt comfortable with doctor, like with doctors, specifically gynecologists. Now I have this really cool lady who seems to be, you know, super respectful and on top of everything. Mm-hmm. Makes you feel comfortable. Super comfortable. Um, so the consult itself was, you know, it was pretty brief because I didn't really know what to ask at all. Um, so my questions were literally, like, I, I actually still have notes from it. And my questions that I went to her with were, were literally like, what is the recovery time? How, you know, what's the pain like? You know, what am I going to experience during recovery? Um, you know, and then just like, limita- what limitations do I have? And... That was pretty much it. And then my other question was, uh, which, yeah, my other question was basically like about freezing your eggs, like what the process of removing and freezing the eggs was, uh, because I wasn't sure how I felt about having kids or any of that. And so Mm -hmm. um, I had heard that my insurance might cover it. So with the potential of them covering it, I kind of wanted to just see oh, okay, if it's not so bad, maybe I'll just do it, and then I have the option to have kids or whatever. So she pretty much told me outright that it's, like, you know, incredibly painful that, um, you know, uh, the, the, the cis women that she has that have done this, uh, gone through that egg, egg ritual process, that they all are in a ton of pain and whatever. And Because my concern was, like, the physical pain versus also the emotional pain of being a mm-hmm. trans man coming off of testosterone and going through oh, yep. that and then also going through this process of basically forcing yourself to have a menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Like there's just this really kind of like fucked up, controlling, uncontrollable situation. So, you know, she was like, yeah, I haven't personally had any trans patients that done it, but I, I would imagine it would be somewhat difficult, like emotionally. So... I really uh, respected and like was grateful that she shared that experience because you know I think not to, not that we should be comparing ourselves to cis women by any means, but I think that you know to just know that the physical part is hard enough, uh, and then the emotional that c- just comes with simply being a person who has that body part. I was worried about what the trans part would add to the equation, and that that was a little bit too much for me to take a gamble with. Um, so I, you know, I ultimately like right away decided I didn't want to do the egg retrieval. And so that was a quick, you know, conversation with her. And then the rest of the consultation was discussing like what would actually happen during surgery, which, you know, was over my head pretty much <laughs> like, okay, you're yeah. removing something great. That was it. Uh, but she gave me the option of like a total hip hysterectomy where you re- they remove everything or mm-hmm. a partial where they were they leave an ovary i believe yeah or the cervix or something so i yeah my surgeon said there was no point in the cervix but she would leave an ovary for a partial so that you can still produce your own hormones if you go off of testosterone so i said i asked her what the pros and cons were and she basically told me Mm -hmm. that there really was none like i was a like a trans guy who wanted the effects of testosterone so she felt that there were no benefits to keeping anything um, so I, you know, I said, okay, great. Like, let's do it then. If that's what you think, it makes no difference to me at this point. Um, so we agreed on all that. And then the last part of the consultation was doing like a physical 
exam, you know, doing a, a vaginal exam or whatever. Um, so I was really, you know, super uncomfortable about, I was super uncomfortable about mm-hmm. the prospect of that. And, um, I just tried to figure out like, how can I deal with this kind of like quickly? I had headphones with me. So I, I, you know, I just asked her if I could put the headphones in and just kind of do my thing like and and I just kind of told her like let me know when you're done <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and she, yeah that was fine so we did that um highly recommend that if people if if like audio stuff or whatever is good to distract you um I ended up I put on the office and I was just watching the office on my phone while she was doing this so that helped me a lot um and then what I didn't know at the time that I found out later so my consult for the histo was in August, uh, and then I actually wasn't gonna have surgery until November. Um, so I didn't realize that, like I kind of thought that they would be booked long enough that I needed to have a consult that early. So because my consult was so far away from when I wanted to actually have the surgery, I ended up having to like be required to have another vaginal exam to but like for like for surgery so because of because of that i was like i do not want to go through this again like i had kind of in my head at this point like i'm done with ever having to have this body part like analyzed again like this is it you know um so i was like done so my doctor actually offered to do the exam after i'd been put under for surgery and like before she actually did the surgery so I took her up on that offer. It was a great option. So I didn't have to deal with like that trauma again and just made made it all a lot easier. Um, so definitely recommend asking your doctor if they can do that, if you have to have one. Um, so yeah, so then uh, in between like the consult and the surgery date, the, I didn't really do – like I, I honestly didn't do anything really to prepare um, – you know, like emotionally, I, because it wasn't a surgery that I wanted for myself, like, you know, I wanted it in the sense of having to have the fallow, but I didn't want it per se. So because of that, I just, I really didn't put much thought into it at all. And I kind of just, I kind of just showed up like, you know, I kind of went to surgery and that was my prep. Um, and I wish I had done some more emotional prep, like looking back, but I didn't, you know, I just wasn't what was in the cards at the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. So um, surgery day, I, you know, I show up to the hospital, check in everything, everything's great. And I'm, I'm see my doctor right before surgery. And, you know, we kind of went over again, what was going to happen, go into surgery. And I, when I came out from surgery, you know, she said everything went well. I, I still, I, uh, I was pretty out of it. So you know, like I don't remember a lot of what she said. I just know that you know things went well. You know, and I was basically told once I was like fully awake, uh, they would bring me down to the the room that I was gonna be in basically until I was being discharged. So I my surgery was at nine a.m. I believe. So the plan was to have me like discharged by like three four o'clock. Um, wow. Yeah, something like that. Do you know how long your surgery was? I want to say it was like two hours, like two two and a half okay. hours, three hours. I think. Um, I ha- I still have all my paperwork. I can definitely check, but I think it was like about two or three hours. So, um, when, you know, they they basically said to me, as soon as I am able to urinate, they will let me go home. So I went back to the room I was in, uh, Blair came to visit me and, you know, I had like, I actually had like a little roommate, like a hospital mate who was also a trans person and they had just had their hysterectomy with the same doctor. Um, and their mom was also there with them. And so that was really cool to have another trans, uh, trans person there and like kind of going through this little recovery together. Um, so yeah, Blair basically came and dropped stuff off and like, you know, checked in and then she went back home. We live fairly close to the hospital. So she went back home and whatever. So I was there alone for a couple hours just waiting to pee. And, um, you know, they kept giving me water and 
I was just kind of hanging out, talking to the person next to me, you know, getting to know each other, drinking my water. And uh, there was a couple times I felt like I had to go to the bathroom. So I, you know, I got up to pee. And every time I tried, nothing would come out. And um, I would think I was just being anxious. So I went back to the bed, you know, waited a little bit, would go back, try again. And that pattern went on for like a couple hours, maybe like two hours or something. And um, I was really confused. I, I wasn't really, you know, they said you can go home after you pee, but I wasn't really made aware of that that was going to be a challenge or that could potentially be a challenge. Um, I thought it was just one of those things like once you pee, you can go. <laughs> like not uh, like if you can pee, you know. Um, so in all of this, the guy I was sharing the room with had – he had already peed. He was – and, you know, so his surgery was after mine. So – he had come out of a surgery and he had already peed. So he was like ahead of me in things. He had to stay overnight in the hospital because his surgery was later in the day. So he didn't have the whole pee and you can go home thing, but he had already gone. So I was like getting worked up that he was peeing and I was still struggling. And, you know, mind you, we're also on like, you know, three or four hours now of post-surgery drinking and not peeing. Mm -hmm. So at some point it started to get really painful. Um, so at one point I had called the nurse and I was like, I'm, you know, it's really starting to hurt. Like, and I think I was just kind of confused and whatever. And she came in and she was like, you haven't peed yet. And I said, no. And she's like, you should have peed by now. And I was like, well, why is that my fault? Thank you. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, uh, okay, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. So she ended up going and getting like the portable ultrasound and she did an ultrasound scan of my, of my bladder and found that I had 600 milliliters of urine in my bladder. Now, that didn't mean much to me at this time. Like, I was like, okay, like, good for me. Uh, what kind of, like, trophy am I getting, you know? Um, but now, knowing everything I know about <laughs> peeing and everything, 600 milliliters is way too much. Um, and what they told me was, like, I was on the borderline of, like, having my bladder burst, which is why I was oh in so God. much pain. So... Then from here, <laughs> what happened – and mind you, I can't figure out – like no one knows what's going on, why this is happening. Um, so in the midst of all this, the nurse is like calling the doctor. My doctor had gone home for the day and like they couldn't get in touch with her. So they're calling the on-call OBGYN and they've got other nurses in. And um, I think this is one of – the like the moments that sticks out to me where I felt I, I felt like a science experiment like I felt like uh, like just something to look at and like just a body to examine and not an actual human in any way so because of how much urine I had in my bladder the only option was to put a catheter in me to mm. get all of the urine out at, like as quickly as possible so I didn't know a thing about catheters I had never had one before um, so they're telling me like, we're going to put this catheter in you and I'm not understanding where, and this is my lack of understanding of that part of my body at the time. So I literally kept telling them, you can't put that tube inside me. I've never, like, I don't have sex that way. It's going to hurt too much. And like, I didn't understand that the urethra was completely separate from like the hole that you use for in, like sexual intercourse. So that was really traumatizing because I didn't even understand where they were putting this thing and they're like shoving this thing inside me and I'm feeling something in a body part I've never felt before. And I was just, I was just crying. Like I just, like I think every tear that was like possibly in my body, like I was just wailing and screaming and like it was so incredibly painful. And the thing that was like the most, uh, I think difficult for me was like, they had they had six nurses that were doing this. So one nurse uh -huh. was physically putting the catheter in, and then these other nurses were either staring, holding a flashlight, holding my body part open for the other nurse, or like like just being there to watch this show. And that was that was just mortifying in every way. Um, and it was actually so. And, and and like I said, Blair was home at this point, so I was alone. 
and just had the roommate next to me who's in a hospital bed and his mom who like I just met these people the mom came over to me and asked if she could sit and hold my hand while this was happening and she just sat there with me holding my hand rubbing my back and like telling me like it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay and it was like it made such a huge difference for me to have somebody just like this stranger like you know holding me and like being there for me and it was like it was really like it's like making me like tear up thinking about it because it was just so horrible to experience and so painful in so many ways and so it would be such a emotionally traumatizing as well going you know you you're going through this surgery and the doctor already made you know the the compromise kind of to do your other exam that you didn't want to have while you're in surgery you come out of surgery you know thinking this will probably be you know the last time besides maybe a post-op exam to see how you're doing and then a couple hours later you have six complete strangers surrounding you coming out of coming off of drugs and everything else yeah i would imagine yeah just very traumatizing just far too much to be honest so um yeah it was really it was too much but when they when they decided that their efforts were not they were not actually able to get the catheter in after whatever period of time they uh basically they made the, they made the decision to have call the doctor and the doctor on the on-call doctor was like we have to just we have to go into surgery then and like i didn't understand any of this what was going on i didn't understand why i had to go back in surgery i didn't understand what was why i couldn't pee um no one was explaining it to me i and you know, and I was like heavily medicated because I just came out of surgery and was in in a ton of pain. So everybody's just completely ignoring me, overlooking everything I'm asking or saying. And uh, I don't remember who or how, you know how somebody got in touch with Blair, but at some point Blair was called and told like like I don't know if I called her, I don't know if my the my roommate's mom did. Like I have no clue, but they called and explained what was happening and and kind of told her like you should come here, or whatever. So she came as soon as she could, but the same so the day this was all happening was the day that trump was elected president and uh then also in seattle where we were living there was a shooting and there was a shooting right by the hospital so blair actually couldn't get to the hospital directly so that was like another traumatizing part was like i'm completely alone and i have no one to advocate for me or or help me with this or whatever and so my roommate and his mom like were doing the best they could to like ask questions for me to try to get information and like it was just having that kind of like support was amazing and it was you know it, it made a huge difference so when when they made the decision to do to have to have surgery again they you know take me to the operating room whatever i meet the doctor who's doing the surgery on me a woman i've never met before um so like I'm like super upset because now this other person I don't know I can't I don't know if I can trust her like I know nothing about her now all of a sudden I have to feel completely safe having her do this like whatever this surgical fix or whatever it is so uh, as I'm waiting to be like put to sleep for the surgery the this the only cis man that I have yet like the only cis man I had interacted with comes in and he's like you know, right before they put you under, they usually ask you a couple questions to make sure, like, no last-minute errors. So he's like, what's your name? You know, I'm like, Justin Nash there. And, okay, how old are you? Tell him. Okay. And then he's like, and what, what surgery are you having? And I was like, I don't know. I was here for a hysterectomy this morning. Like, I don't know what this is now. And so he, like, he stops and he goes, you had a hysterectomy this morning? I said, yeah. And he goes, okay. And then he turns and he's like, she had a hysterectomy this morning. She And just starts, she everything and and i'm look i'm like is this really happening like the second i said i had a hysterectomy all of a sudden i became a woman in his his, in his mind and so this is how like much this situation was like traumatizing me that at this point the second time i heard him say she i literally screamed at him and i told him like i was like i don't even know what i said but i said something along the lines of like get get the fuck out of my face right now and like i like i'm a man and if you do this again like there's gonna be a problem and like i don't know what happened i just know that like there was only women in the room after that and thank god because i could not handle this anymore and then they put me under whatever wake up i have a catheter in when i wake up and um the only information i got from there was i heard like i got one snippet from one nurse who said that the doctor sewed my bladder my urethra shut to my bladder 
and that's why I couldn't pee. And I don't know how that could have happened, why that could have happened. Like, there's a lot of questions I have. I just, I got that explanation once and nobody else would give me any information. And so to this day, I actually have no clue what happened. Um, wow. Specifically. So what I just told you is what I know happened. And that's, that's it. Um, I've gotten no answer whatsoever. So after all this, so I, I end up having to stay overnight at the hospital. Um, and so I stay the next morning, I get discharged, I go home, I go home with a catheter in. So not part of the plan. <laughs> um, and then I, this, so at this point I got discharged on a Friday. And so from Friday until, uh, or sorry, I got discharged on a Thursday. So from Thursday until Monday, I was to have this catheter in. And so I had to live with this catheter for like, you know, four days, something I was not expecting, never dealt with. Didn't plan yeah, on. Yeah. Never dealt with before. And so uh, recovery was pretty hard. Uh, so I, uh, by Friday, th- like just, you know, two days after my histo, I was in the ER again because the pain was so bad that I was like throwing up and like fainting. And so I had to go back to the ER. They gave me... Uh, at that point, they gave me morphine um, for painkiller, uh, and went home. And you know, from there on, I just recovered at home till Monday. That was really hard because, it, it, well, I was I was I was bleeding to begin with from having the hysterectomy, but then on top of that, I was also bleeding from having a catheter in. So um, that wasn't something I was expecting either. Uh, so I basically had to keep like pads in my boxers for several days um you know none of which i was really expecting i and the thing i found the most comfortable at home was like being on the couch and having pillows underneath my like underneath my thighs so kind of propping my legs up and that seemed to relieve the cramps that i had for the most part um you know with the help of like some medication and stuff um and then you know, uh, the other thing I didn't experience with top surgery was um, constipation or anything. And I was on the narcotics for like, you know, seven or eight days with my top surgery and I didn't have constipation. My hysterectomy, I couldn't go to the bathroom. Um, and so I tried Miralax. That worked right away and that worked really well. Um so I, I continued to use that, uh, but it's not something I was expecting. So the like in-between period of is this normal or is this not normal, I kind of wasted time being in pain when I could have just addressed it had I known it was something that needed to be addressed. Um, and so come Monday, I went back to the OBGYN, the one who did the original surgery, who made this error that no one gave me an explanation for. Uh, and... Even so, in your post op, she didn't say anything about how was that even addressed. So I show up for my post op, I feeling super insecure and uncomfortable. Uh, this this is before the days of me feeling confident enough to like really call this shit out. So I really didn't get, honestly the confidence I have now of like calling the doctors out and like like advocating mm-hmm. for myself came from this scenario. So this was like before I really knew what to do. So I. I walked in smiling and telling the doctor like, oh, it's nice to see you and acting like everything was fine because I didn't know what else to do. Well, inside you were screaming. Inside I was like, what the fuck did you do to me? I don't understand, whatever. So I have this catheter in and so the point of the post-op was to just check, you know, just in general, check my incisions and then to remove the catheter. So I... Again, this is before my extensive knowledge of catheter use that I have post-op phalloplasty. So she explains to me she's going to like remove like remove saline from the balloon. The balloon's in the bladder, uh, and when she removes the saline from the balloon, then she can uh, slowly and carefully remove the catheter tube from inside the urethra. Mm-hmm. So I'm like. I'm the kind of person who needs to know what to expect. Like, is it going to hurt? You know, whatever. So that's uh-huh. what I said to her. Like, is it going to hurt? How much? What's it going to feel like? Whatever. She's like, it shouldn't hurt. It should feel just kind of awkward and weird. And maybe like, you know, kind of like creepy. Or like, sorry, like cringy, if anything. But uh-huh. not really painful. So I'm like, all right, great. Go ahead. 
So I'm kind of leaned back on the chair. She's sitting in front of me, like her face is where that body part is down there. And so, you know, I have a gown over me, so I can't really see what's going on. I just kind of see her body. And um, she says, you know, like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm doing the saline. And all of a sudden I feel there's no other way to to describe it, but like exactly what happened, like a balloon pop. Like I feel this pop inside my my urethra area and i'm like what like i literally said to her what was that because you could actually hear the noise um you heard a noise like like a pop sound so i said like what was that and i just remember it my i I made my my eyes went huge like they literally were huge and i was just like what was that because i just was like how is something else happening and she's like Uh are you okay and I and, and was very but very compassionate. Like, are you okay? And I was like, I think I was like, but what was that? And she was like, oh, sometimes the balloons like pop when we're removing the catheters. Like, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Like, it just usually feels weird. But like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, it's all good. I got the catheter out. Like, it's all good. And so I'm like, okay. And you know, like, is that the weird feeling? Yeah. You know, that you should have been expecting. Right. I'm like, so this must be what it feels like. Okay. And, you know, thinking nothing of it. So go home, you know, I continue, and, and I'm just, I'm told to just go home and continue my recovery, you know, resting, uh, no working out for six weeks, whatever, you know, no sexual activity for, I believe, eight weeks, you know, all these things. That's it. So I go home and I continue on with my life this way. And I, a couple days after, the catheter came out, I noticed when I peed that I had like a very strong like stinging feeling. And I had never had a UTI before. I had only experienced yeast infections and it didn't feel like a yeast infection. So I was like, oh, maybe this is a UTI because I know catheter use can increase UTI, uh, like the possibility of a UTI. So I'm like, okay, let me see what happens over the next few days. You know, let's see if it goes away. And then um, the next couple of days, it's like here and there, you know, it's a dull sting, then it's fine for several year, like peas, and then it comes back a little bit. So it was very hit or miss. So I just assumed I just had major surgery. Okay, this must just be, you know, part of recovery, whatever. So um, that was it. I just, you know, I like I said, I just dealt with it. And then about a month later, I, I was in New Jersey for Christmas visiting my family uh, so this is about a month and a half after the hysterectomy. Um, and while I'm there, uh, one of my best friends is like has always worked in the medical field. So I was hanging out with her one night and I was like telling her like how much it hurt when I peed. And she's asking me all these questions and I'm answering her as best that I can. And, and she's kind of like, I, like, I feel like there, it's got like something's not making sense. And she's like, you, sh- you need to tell your doctor. So I literally texted the doctor um while Kristen and I were eating and I'm texting her like listen this you know I'm in this pain whatever and or no sorry I emailed her first I emailed her through the polyclinic like mm-hmm. uh portal yeah, whatever portal, exactly so I email her through there and then she gives me her cell phone number or she texts me I can't remember either she gave me her cell and asked me to text her or she texted me but then we're texting and so I'm explaining to her everything I'm feeling, whatever. So she's like, I think you have a UTI. So let me prescribe you uh, an antibiotic and, um, and, and a, uh, like what I now know to be like, a, what's it called? Like a urethral relaxer. It's like a, this other medication that like relaxes your urethra so you don't really, f- and it numbs it so you don't really feel pain. So she prescribes me these two medications and, you know, I'm like, okay, great. It's going to get better. No problem. I go pick them up. And all this time I'm thinking this doctor is so amazing going out of her way for me, texting me uh, because I needed her help. Um, you know, I emphasized to her I was in New Jersey and I didn't feel safe going to an urgent care to get checked because I had had such bad experiences with doctors and whatever in New Jersey. She was super accommodating. You know, she prescribed me this. She prescribed me this antibiotic like, you know, via text. So I'm just sitting here telling Kristen, like, this doctor's so great. Like, she's really taking care of me. She's going out of her way. Like, I'm so appreciative. And I actually even said that to the doctor. Like, I'm so grateful that you're, you know, you're so caring of this situation and everything. And so I pick up the antibiotics, whatever. And 
the pain starts to go away. And so I'm thinking like, okay, awesome. And mm-hmm. then starts to come back. As soon as the antibiotic stops, starts to come back sporadically, same kind of thing. I follow up with the doctor again and she's like, you know, like you might have, um, she explains this whole thing to me. Some women, when they have their hysterectomies, go through like postmenopausal symptoms, whatever. And part of that can be like drying out of the vaginal area. So she is certain that's what's happening to me. That, you know, because I'm on testosterone on top of just having a hysterectomy and basically like putting myself through this uh, menopausal state where I'm creating a dry vaginal area. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like, sure. So she... Like, not a doctor. Not a doctor. Makes sense. Okay, I trust you. So she prescribes me this estrogen cream that she's certain in, you know, the next month or so should alleviate these symptoms. The estrogen cream was like $100 a tube and only lasted like a month or something. And like that was with my good insurance. It was still this price. So I was like, okay, well, I guess this is my only option because I was also leading this, you know, this is leading up to phalloplasty. So I'm also hyper concerned about my urethra and my bladder because, you know, I knew that a majority of the problems that people have post-histo are urethra-related. So I was, like, very hyper-aware. I was very nervous. You know, I was constantly in touch with the doctor telling her what was going on. I was, like, it, like to a fault, to the point where I was irritating. But I should have been irritating because I wasn't getting this taken care of. You weren't getting the answers. Right, but, like, yeah. I was so on top of it as far as, like, the patient's job. So March, middle of March. So this is, you know, November is when I had my histo. April is when I'm having my phalloplasty. Middle of March, like just about a month before my phalloplasty, I'm playing video games one night. I'm in bed, uh, and I'm playing video games with my buddy Matt. We're, we have our headsets on, and we're playing Call of Duty. And I just, I'm like, I gotta go pee. Like, we gotta opt out of this match real quick. So he's like, yeah, yeah, we opt out of the match. Something's feeling really weird. Like, just something's not feeling right down there. Just thought like, okay, it's going to be painful, whatever. Go to the bathroom. In the house that I was in at that point, the bathroom was right next to my bedroom. So I just, I pop into the bathroom. Blair's in the totally other room, nowhere near me. And I'm in the bathroom and I'm peeing. And it's so painful that I'm I'm wailing in pain. And Blair comes running in and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. it just really hurts. And I'm like kind of shutting the door, like shoving her out because I can't understand what's happening. And so the next thing I know is like, there's this very incredibly painful, like what feels like a pop out of that body part down there. And I'm completely confused. I have no idea what's happening. So I stand up from the toilet and I see what literally looks like a penne pasta noodle inside the toilet. And I was like, just completely confused, like, what because like this obviously came from my body how did this come from my body and because i was so confused my first thought was we don't even eat pasta how did pasta get inside me and so then i was having all of these traumatizing i know i know i love and then i was having all these traumatizing thoughts that somehow someone put pasta inside my body and like nothing was making sense the last thought on my mind was that it came from that body part. And like, because mm-hmm. nothing goes in there, so how could something come out of there? Totally confused. So I, I, I'm, and, and I'm so traumatized by this happening that I just sit on the toilet crying. And I, I stayed there for like 10 minutes and I text, I text Matt, I'm like, uh, I can't play right now, like, I'll call you back. And I'm just sitting there and like, I don't even know I don't even know how long I was sitting there like I can't even think how long I was sitting there but at some point I came out of there I went into the I didn't say a word to Blair went into the bedroom closed the door and I just am sitting there and I'm staring oh mind you I had fished out the the pasta noodle because I needed the evidence to make sure like cuz mm-hmm. I was I honestly thought I was somehow going crazy like I couldn't understand what was happening so I took I took a cup and I like scooped it out and I put it in a Ziploc bag and I just had it in this bag and I was just staring at it, trying to figure out how did this happen to me. And at some point I finally texted Blair and I was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't, please don't ask me like questions. 
but this just came out of me and I need your help to like I, I need your help like I don't know what to do and she was like like okay and like came in and was like sitting with me and just was like what do you mean this happened like we were trying to figure it out and so at that point I call the on-call number for my OBGYN they page her over and over again she doesn't call me I speak to the on-call doctor and I try to briefly explain this entire situation and I'm just like I don't get it and she's like we basically come to the conclusion where she asks me something about the catheter and we come to the conclusion like oh it it popped while it was in you and she's arguing with me that why would it have done that and I was like the doctor said it was normal and she's like uh what and then from that moment I put together this was a piece of the catheter tube that had been lodged in my body for six months and that's first of all what was causing me the pain peeing okay. and uh whatever so now here I am like my doctor's not calling me all this stuff happens and my foul plasty is in a month so the whole next day I just I was like crying I was so heartbroken I was certain that my foul plasty was gonna get canceled and I just kept telling myself I've said this whole time whatever is supposed to happen is going to happen so if this surgery if foul plasty gets canceled for me I'm not meant to have the surgery it's just not and like that'll be so fucking devastating but it's just not meant to happen and so I did everything I could think of. I called Dr. Chen the next day. Uh, I called um, I called Dr. my Dr. Hatfield from my HRT doctor. Called him and I explained everything to him that happened. He was incredible. Put me in touch with like this person in charge of the practice, whatever. Who won't even get into that because they did nothing. But he was amazing. That's all that matters. He was amazing. Uh, and then. I finally got a phone call from my OBGYN who basically had absolutely no response for me. When I asked her, like, how could this happen? What happened? Whatever. She just kept saying, well, like, uh, you know, she had no answer. There was no, I don't think I got like a full sentence out of her. And then it was at the point where I was like, you're not even apologizing or taking ownership of this, whatever. And I think it was when I said that, that she hung up on me. Mm, yeah. So, um, have not spoken to her since then. Uh, and then Dr. Hatfield, the amazing doctor, he, uh, he actually was, he was so concerned and for me because he knew how important the surgery was. He went out of his way to make me an emergency appointment with a, a different OBGYN in the practice um, and like set me up with her right away. He spoke to her directly and explained everything that happened. And she basically did what's called a cystoscopy so it's a camera that goes up your urethra and you know they can look around with the camera see what's going on in the bladder and the urethra whatever the point was to see if there was any damage done with this lodged catheter tube so i go to her office uh, you know i'm super anxious because here's another doctor that's going to be all up in that body part that i was certain would never have to be touched again or inspected again and um she was awesome uh, her name is Dr. Bradley. She was amazing. Uh, she works mostly with uh, male to female patients. She does a lot of male to female surgeries. And so she's like very uh, in touch with our community and stuff. So I was very at ease hearing that. And so um, she explained to me from start to finish exactly what she was going to do with the cystoscopy. She put numbing cream inside so that I didn't feel it, hopefully. And every step of the way, like, explained it to me and was like, okay, I'm going to go a little further now. I'm going to go a little further. Like, just was super on top of it. I felt um, really well taken care of and comfortable with her. Um, and when she went in, she checked everything, and she felt pretty confident that there was no scarring or damage that was done uh, that she could see on the cystoscopy. So um, I also had a CAT scan done to check for the same thing. And so everything looked good. So with all of that, you know, it felt like it was good to go. Like there was no issues. So that was kind of like the end of the <laughs> hysterectomy experience, which was like a six and a half, six and a half month long process that only ended right before my phalloplasty. So my, my month leading up to fallow where I should have been, you know, at like 
at peace and staying calm and focusing on myself and you know like really really caring for my my well-being and my mind i was instead trying to set up these emergency appointments trying to have all these exam do exams done trying to make sure everything is taken care of whatever so i really didn't actually get to relax or like really start to you know prepare for like the impending surgery date until like just like a week before you know when we got to, when wow. we got to san francisco basically is when i started to like be able to calm down from the whole like that whole ordeal because it was so consuming to make sure that i was even going to be signed off to have the surgery you know because the doctors had to sign off on this before dr chen would would do it because of uh like that's part of the that's part of the procedure is like you have to have a physical and so because i had this yep. whole thing it's all documented this was technically part of my physical was making sure that body part was you know like somewhat taken care of so i went out of my way to make sure like all of that was okay so that was really difficult to have to focus on and then by the time i you know was there for phalloplasty it was like oh okay so yeah there was like that break that six months in between where i just didn't get to really super duper focus on it i was focus on the surgery that the hysterectomy was supposed to yeah, be for. Yeah, I was more cons like I was cuz you know the the thing the thing that really bothered me was in therapy uh cuz I was seeing like this um like spiritual based therapist so she you know we work a lot on like energy and what I'm manifesting, what I'm putting into things, whatever. So at that time all of my my all of my therapy appointments with her were dedicated to like what is it that I'm creating within myself that's making me have this issue with peeing? And like, I'm sitting here taking all this blame on myself thinking that I had created this issue somehow, whether it was not taking care of myself physically or whether it was not taking care of myself emotionally. And so I'm beating myself up about this when I didn't do anything. Yeah. And that was really devastating for me to deal with or like to just even kind of come to terms with, I think, because I felt like, you know, I just put so much blame on myself for something I really didn't do. No, not yeah. at all. <laughs> not even a little yeah. bit. <laughs> you did not put that piece of plastic inside. I your, didn't. Your, your as much as I thought I somehow had to have, I did not. <laughs> yeah. A stranger came in the middle of yeah, the night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and honestly, that was like one of my dark thoughts was like, did somebody come in and somehow assault me? And this mm -hmm. is somehow, you know, like that and... I think, like, I share that because I think it just speaks to how not in touch I was with that body part because it was so, it was just such a source of discomfort for me that I couldn't even understand how it worked. I didn't want to understand how it worked. So, you know, as silly or maybe as dumb or, like, uneducated as I sound explaining this, like, I don't care because that's kind of the point is to just be real that that's, I was completely dumb and uneducated and naive to this body part. And now if you want to talk to me about the body part I have now, I know everything about it. And that's because it's like that level of comfort. I want to know everything about mm -hmm. it. You know, like mm -hmm. I want to know how it all works. So, um, yeah. And like I said, I think that this whole experience really taught me how to advocate for myself in the medical situations. Um, so, you know, when it came to phalloplasty, like I was lucky enough to have Dr. Chen, who is just so amazing that – you know, I didn't really have to advocate for myself when it came to him. You're on the same yeah, team. Yeah, we were on more. the same team yeah. for sure. But when it came to needing to advocate for you know myself with other doctors or anything during that time period, you know, I I really started to have like this backbone and just uh, have more confidence in being able to speak up and speak out. And part of that I think was, you know, not only her like really screwing me with this whole situation or you know kind of putting me in this whole situation but on top of that just um the lack of knowledge that i had about how any of the surgeries work you know played into me not being able to like take care of myself properly or advocate for myself properly because when you don't have any understanding you're just trusting whatever anybody's telling you and mm -hmm. so I, my naivety like was a huge downfall for the hysterectomy and so when it came to fallow like Luckily, like I said, Dr. Chen is so willing to like sit there, break it all down for you, give you every detail that you need or want in order for you to feel like you understand. Like he goes above and beyond with that. So I never felt like I didn't understand what was happening. And then 
that kind of gave me confidence to further ask questions and learn more about what was going on and you know make better decisions and stuff like that so when dr chen would consult me on like do i do you want to do this or you want to do this i felt like i was informed enough to actually make a decision Mm-hmm. Um, that you weren't just throwing a dart and just picking yeah, one. Yeah. Throwing a dart or just trusting him or just hoping it's the best mm-hmm. one, whatever. Like I was being able I was more informed. And so uh you know, that was that was huge for me. You know, it was just huge. Now, and like going into it, you I mean, obviously you weren't expecting four months, no. you know, six months of recovery or whatever. Were you you know, because uh, like you said, like a lot of us are naive to what goes into this process and we don't really have the tools where like, did a lot of your knowledge just come from other people having it and being told like, yeah, it's pretty easy. I mean, laparoscopic, you know, they tell you it's three or four little incisions and you know, then you can go back to work in a couple yeah. weeks, you know, it's, I think it's like really downplayed. I think it's totally downplayed, you know, and yeah, almost every person that I asked about their hysterectomy experience told me it was super easy. Uh, they said it was, you know, uh, like, it was easier than top surgery. Uh, the pain was very minimal. It was just minor cramping. Uh, you know, felt like you had a period kind of thing. Um, you know, that they were back to work in a week or two. Uh, you know, um, the longest I had heard was like three weeks somebody went back to work. Um, you know, so everything to me felt like, like I felt like this was a no big deal surgery. I went into this mm-hmm. surgery with the mindset that it was no big deal, that I was going to come home and in a week or two, I would be normal, aside from not being able to work out, but I would feel normal. And that was just so far from the truth. Um, you know, even when I, even after the, you know, the complication, like, you know, the, the, the thing is, even with the peeing issue I was having with the burning and the stinging, that was only when I peed. So, you know, I think like you, you know, 10% of your day is spent peeing. So the rest of the 90% of the day, I wasn't in pain because of the issue from the complication, but mm-hmm. I was in discomfort from the incisions, from where the laparoscopic incisions are. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't wear pants that were tighter or that had like a waistband on them. You know, I was wearing like looser sweatpants or shorts that had like an elastic, uh, you know, a wider band and stuff, uh, more flexible band. Um, sitting upright where I was in an L shape, like where my you know, that stomach mm-hmm. area was bent, was incredibly painful. Um, and, you know, like sitting upright on the couch was really painful for me. I was often le- like leaning back or I was like laying in the bed or laying on the couch versus sitting upright. Uh, and driving was super hard. I didn't drive until like three or four weeks post-op because sitting up in that position was, it was too painful for me to really like maneuver my legs in the quick fashion I should be able to with driving. Okay. I... So I was really taken back by all of the things I experienced that I had never heard anybody else experience. Um, And, you know, there was only one person, and surprisingly enough, it was a person who only had a partial hysterectomy versus a full, and he was the only one who had said to me, like, yeah, it was pretty uncomfortable. Like, it was pretty painful for a while. And he only had a partial. So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, all right, this this is interesting. Um, but I definitely felt like I was led astray with, with the way that things were set up. Um, you know, I thought that this was going to be an easy surgery, like I said, in and out and no big deal. And I would be normal mm-hmm. again. On to quickly. the next. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I do, I do also think, or, you know, I do wonder, um, with my discomfort with sitting and stuff, I'm unsure of how much of that could be contributed to the fact that I, I had a belly, you know, like my belly's not flat straight down. Like my belly kind of pushes up against my pants and goes over the top of them sometimes and stuff like that. And I think that that also did create like some discomfort in that area of just like more pressure. Uh, so it's something I've, I've been wondering, like, you know, I noticed that when I had a catheter in post the super pubic that goes through your belly, I had the same issue, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when I was on the heavier side for me, uh, post fallow, it was way more. The catheter was way more uncomfortable in my belly than when I had lost a ton of weight from the infections. When I was lighter after the infections, the catheter actually was not nearly as painful. And so, so like just from my experience, my thought process was maybe it had something to do with like the way that my stomach was just naturally laying with my body, that it was like a, a pressure buildup in that area. 
So just things I didn't think about, you know, nothing that I really would have crossed my mind. Um, but yeah, uh, for recovery, like the, a body pillow helped me a lot too of just, um, being able to put myself in positions that alleviated pressure from that area. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said, elevating my legs up also really relieved pressure. And that was actually something I did like as a teenager when I would get a menstrual cycle and my cramps were really bad, I would elevate my legs and it helped a lot. So I think it was also a comfort for me because it's something I used mm-hmm. to do. A little placebo yeah, effect. Yeah, like it was kind of like saying goodbye to this ever having to be a thing mm-hmm. again. I, you know, I don't know. I think there was a lot going on with that. So, um, Dude, that's fucked that you never got any answers from that surgeon. Yeah. Like, lawsuit. Like, that. that's 100% why the reason why she well, hung up on you. There's no other explanation. For sure. And I have all of the text messages still. I screenshotted all of our text messages. I screenshotted all of the... Uh, emails through that that you know mm-hmm. company the whatever the doctor portal thing like I have all of that stuff I have a fucking picture of the noodle that came out of me like mm-hmm. you know I I have so much evidence that backs it all of this up it's like and and you know I have emails with the supervisor that like you know there's just there's so much stuff that I have but like the problem was I actually did contact a lawyer before. Uh, my phalloplasty because I wanted to see what my options were because like I said I spent mm-hmm. I spent all those months in therapy talking about this mm-hmm. like not for nothing mm-hmm. but like pay for my therapy bills because I wasted my time talking about something that I didn't need to waste my time on like I yeah all the other your your cat scan I mean yeah maybe insurance totally. covered it you got a copay and you have whatever insurance doesn't fucking cover you you had your estrogen so not only that but then she's also fucking with your hormones that were probably fine to begin with and had nothing to do with what was going yeah. on you know all your other antibiotics and all the it, there, yeah there's absolutely. a lot yeah so anyway that got side you know put to the side when I started having my fallow complications so the other thing is I have been waiting to I'm trying to get some more information on if the damage like even though there was no lasting damage if it affected if it affected anything all of the strictures that you for, had yeah. that's what i i didn't i didn't know if i we wanted to bring that's that up fine. in the actual episode or not but that was going to be my question about that that was my first thought if when you were going through and having the urethra yeah. microscope if they were checking for damage and maybe she didn't right. see but that doesn't mean that having that piece of plastic inside for four months didn't affect right especially with all the complications you did have specifically with your urethra. For sure, yeah. So that's something I'm trying to... I mean, I'm not a doctor, yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, But, you know, something something else I want to bring up is um, before my hysterectomy, so, so I was about a year and a half on T when I had my hysterectomy. And up until that point, my hormones had never been stable. Uh, they were never consistent whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So... You know, every I would ha- I was having my blood work checked. Um, if people have listened to the other episodes where I talk about the whole issue with my first HRT doctor, uh, if not, let me just qu- like very quickly. My first HRT doctor didn't do any blood work on me for s- the first six months, uh, or first eight months, and then I had a huge issue with my hormones being imbalanced, but we had no idea. So when I switched to the amazing Doctor Hatfield, who I've been talking about this whole episode. Uh, when I switched to him around like eight months or whatever, he ordered my, like the blood test or whatever. And at that point, um, from then, you know, basically from there on, my dose was never consistent. It kept going, it had still been going up and down. So Dr. Hatfield put me on an estrogen blocker to, because my testosterone was converting back to estrogen. So Mm -hmm. what that also looked like physically for me was I had very, very little facial hair. Um, up until my hysterectomy, I had my voice had dropped, uh, so my voice had definitely changed. But other than that, my facial structure and facial changes were very minimal. Uh, you know, like I was still pretty like soft looking um, until my hysterectomy. Like there was not, I didn't have like the drastic kind of facial changes. Um, my body fat did not redistribute until after my hysterectomy. I still pretty. I had a very very similar body structure pre T that I had until my hysterectomy, uh, with the exception of actually just gaining weight. So I was just heavier, but my body was still like my hips were huge. You know, still like the fat was in the same places, um, and my mood was very up and down. Like you know, my do- because my dose was up and down, my mood was up and down. 
So there was a lot of there was a lot of things hormonally that were not stable. Uh, and then I had the acne and all that stuff. When I had the hysterectomy, within like, so I had my hysterectomy and then like I came off the estrogen blockers a couple days after the hysterectomy. Like we tapered off of them. And then I just stayed on the testosterone. And from then on, I've been at the exact same dose of testosterone, have not changed. And I do not need any estrogen blockers or anything other than that. My levels have stayed pretty consistent. So within like a month after my histo, I started seeing increased facial hair. I My voice dropped again. Um, my jawline changed a little bit. My hairline started changing. My body fat was totally like redistributing and changing quite a bit. My hips went down considerably. Uh, my like body hair started um, my body hair started coming in, you know, like all that stuff started happening. Like, so in some ways, even though I was like a year and a half on T, it, it was like my physical transition kind of didn't start until around then for the noticeable changes. So from then on, things have been way more consistent. Um, and l like up until my histo, if I missed a shot, it would be like two days, I'd, I'd be like two, three days late on my shot and my mood would completely drop. Like I was, I would be a, mm -hmm. a monster. Now, post hysterectomy, I can miss a shot for a week, two weeks, and it's not until closer to like a week and a half that I actually start to feel it. So like, and, and sometimes that's not even the case. Sometimes it's longer. So mm -hmm. that to me says like my body is really like, you know, taking that estrogen in, or sorry, taking the testosterone in and like there's no estrogen left that's really fighting it. So things are much more mm -hmm. like testosterone based. Smoother process yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, Your body isn't fighting as much with itself. No, now my body's a wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. Look at that body. So yeah, a lot of interesting things with that. And I think like it's funny because like I, I said, going into all this, I didn't want, I didn't care for the hysterectomy. I had no interest. Mm -hmm. I thought there was going to be no real benefit except for having fallow. But in reality, that's when it kind of kickstarted yeah, the physical changes everything. that you had been waiting for for yep, so the long. The things I wasn't seeing changes in that I just kept thinking like, oh, okay, I just need more time. I just need more time. And granted, I did need mm -hmm. more time, but I also needed a hysterectomy. Clearly, you know, so. Um, and I used to have a ton. No, I think, I think that's huge to note, especially for people who are, you know, so many years in on T and not maybe seeing the results totally. that they were looking for or totally. whatever. And, you know, I used to get a lot of cramps, like phantom men menstrual yep. cramps pre-histo. I know them well. Yeah. And now I don't, um, it's actually really funny. I don't get them really, except for there's been a, a handful of times right before Blair gets her period where I start feeling cramps and I'll be like, do you have your period? And she's like, mm, not yet, but like, I think tomorrow I should be. And I'm like, oh, okay. And like, that's I so interesting. I, I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's some sort of placebo effect meant like a phantom pain type thing where it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's all just mental. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there is something physical that's actually happening, but it's very interesting. It's very, it happens very quickly and that's it. Nothing comes of it. It's not, painful per se it's a very light cramp so it's like you know i don't really even notice it much except to just more like a discomfort that kind of like reminds you of what it used to yeah, feel like and to me it always just feels like a reminder of like you don't have to deal mm -hmm. with this anymore like mm -hmm. this is so far away from you but like here's just a little tiny tiny reminder of what that felt like <laughs> to keep you humble <laughs> Or maybe it's showing you how strong you are that you went through all that bullshit. Oh, you're sweet. Okay, I like that one. You yeah, like, like that, that one? one. <laughs> yeah, let's go That's with that. That's good. That's a perfect spot to end, too. <laughs> Boom. Done. Perfect. Ended on a cute note. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Transitional Wisdom Podcast. If you feel like you would like to share your own story or you have a topic you want us to cover or simply want to show your support, please shoot us an email or visit our website. All of our contact info can be found in the episode details. Special thank you to Janelle Mack for creating our amazing theme song, and to AJ, our sound engineer who makes all of this possible. And of course, to you, our listeners. Thanks. Who knew this would happen? A magic potion could save my life.
I'm worthy of change, same as you are. Mirror, mirror.